it's not worth it. Especially because I already did a 10-hour shift on my birthday. You made me work 10 hours on my birthday. morning everybody let's stand up and give God some praise this morning this wonderful Sunday morning give him glory give him honor for he is worthy the creator of the heavens and the earth he knows the stars by name he knows every galaxy that we can't even see yet he knows your name he knows what you're going through and he already knows the solution to the problem so give him praise and glory amen
close, close to your side. So heaven is real, death is a lie. I want to hear voices, angels above, singing as one. Hallelujah, holy, holy, the God Almighty, the great I am, who is worthy, none beside thee, for the God Almighty. Your heart, loving the world, hating the dark. I want to be tried, hopes, living again. We'll sing as one. Hallelujah, holy, holy, God Great I am. The great I am. 
good name, King of Majesty. There is no power in hell or any who could stand before the power and the presence of the great I am. For the great I am, the great I am. Oh, the In your presence, I speak Jesus. Cause I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus Cause your name is power Your name is healing Your name is love Break every stronghold Shine through the shadows Oh, amen. 
every other name the name that is above every name the greatness of who you are we can't even grasp the greatness of who you are yes father you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother yes father you're, you're there for us and we we can talk to you just like we're talking to a friend but God sometimes we need to just stop Remember that you spoke light into existence. That you cast the stars in their place and you know them by name. That you know of galaxies that we've never seen. What is our problem? What is our situation? Do we think it's too big for you? And all of the billions of people on this earth, you know my name. You know every, every problem that I'm going to go through. You know every situation that I think is unfixable. You know the answer already. You know the solution already. Help us to remember that you know our names. When we can't see the way out. We don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. We know that the King of Kings and the Lord of your Lords, the Creator of the universe, knows my name and hasn't forgotten about me. Oh, yeah. 
privilege that is
a sweet love Oh, how we love you You are the Adore Jesus, we love you. And oh, how we love you. You are the heart's adore. Our devotion poured out, Lord, feet of Jesus, our affection, our devotion poured out, Lord, feet of Jesus, our
said, that's a spiritual beast. It's a monster. And we're sitting here singing songs. You know my name. We know what it is to know that he knows our name. And we're singing this song. We pour out our love. You pour out your love. All of those things. We can understand that. But can I tell you, there are those who are going through legitimate battles of discouragement and depression. God wants to set them free. You may be here today. You may be watching by way of the internet. I had that really strong sense as we were singing this song before this one. There were people watching by way of the internet. You're sitting there going, God doesn't know me. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows what I'm going through. And I'm here to tell you, He knows your name. He knows your situation. He knows your circumstance. And I'm not here to embarrass anybody. But if you're here this morning and you would be really honest with yourself and honest with God, and say, Pastor, I've been battling discouragement for some time now, maybe just this week, maybe for the last few weeks, several days, whatever. But I've been battling discouragement. It's like it just came out of nowhere. I don't know. But I want someone to pray with me this morning. Would you be honest and raise your hand so we know who to pray for? Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Would you let us love on you and pray for you and invite you to come up here? won't embarrass you honest come on we just want to pray for you good ask pastor josh how you're pastor nick come on brother andrew would you come too please i want to pray come on come on come on there's another one right here Look, there's still more coming. Make room for the ones who are coming down. Come on. Come on. Now, can we go back to that other song? Yeah. That song there, You Know My Name. I just felt a strong anointing on that song. Yes, Lord. Father, this is not my accident this morning. This is not my accident this morning. This is not my accident this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I break this spirit of discouragement, depression right now. The sense of hopelessness. I break it off. In Jesus' name. You ordained this day for this purpose, Lord God. You came to set the captive free. Let that hopelessness, that discouragement fall from her eyes. Even as the scales come, Lord God, from the eyes of Saul. And he was given vision, Lord God. Let her walk from this place today with fresh understanding that God, you know her name. You know her name. You know her name. 
Let's sing this again. Come on. Sing it again, church. You know my Praise God. Good to see you this morning. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be singing that chorus all day now. Stuck in my head. <laughs> Just that part. You know my name. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to make a quick announcement uh, concerning uh, May 29th and 30th. I think we have a slide up there somewhere. There it is, the summer games. Um, out in the lobby, you'll see a paper out on that table out in the lobby there, and there's that QR codes right there. And if you just 
Click that with your phone. If you don't know how to do that, ask one of the kids. They'll tell you how to do it. <laughs> you know, ask, ask one of the, young, the kids, and they'll show you how to do it, and it'll take you right to the page where to enroll your kids uh, in that, and there's still a need for some volunteers to help out with that. It's going to be an awesome two nights. It's from, I believe, 6 to 8.30 on those two nights, the 29th and 30th of May. And uh, just God's going to touch a lot of young people that day, a lot of, a lot of children that day. The, the Bible says in the last days that God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Can I tell you, God needs to touch the children so he can, he can get a hold of the fathers and the mothers and the grandmas and grandpas, in-laws and outlaws, everybody in the family, right? And so uh, go out there and do that. And then, again, we just thank you for your faithfulness and giving of God's tithe. And we have different ways of doing that. There are boxes on the back wall with envelopes on the boxes or on the chairs in front of you. We have an app. There is a text-to-give program and on our website. So we appreciate that and, and appreciate you best being obedient to God's Word. I want to get right into this message this morning. Um, it's just... Man, there's been so many things that have been going on this week, but, but I, I just woke up early Saturday morning, not settled, and I said, Lord, I need time with you, and God began to really just download some things in my heart. Um, back on February 26th of this year, I preached a message uh, called JM 2.0. It stood for Jesus Movement 2.0, and uh, so I'm titling this one, um, can we get to there? GM 2.0 Part 2. <laughs> uh, and I just thought instead of going Part 2, two we'll do it kind of French way, you know, and, uh, Part 2. But my, my first message um, was a few days after the movie Jesus Revolution had come out at the theaters, and my wife and I had gotten to, were able to go to the preview of that. And, and, and if you've seen it or know anything, you've seen trailers about it. The main character of the story was Pastor Chuck Smith, that uh, eventually he started the network of Calvary Chapel churches. And a lot of people called him the father of the Jesus movement, but he would have told you that's not so. He said there isn't but one father of the Jesus movement, and he's in heaven. But Pastor Chuck was once asked if he thought there would ever be another Jesus movement as we saw in the early 70s. Um, and he made the statement, he says, I'm not sure if we're desperate enough. That was, that was his qualification. I'm not sure if we're desperate enough. Now, there are many of you, you weren't even alive during that time, okay? So you don't have no idea what I'm talking about. But during that time, there were riots all across our nation. There were against uh, any, any type of authority, establishment. There were shootings on campuses. There were riots on campuses. I actually not participated, was an unwilling participant uh, of a riot on Berkeley campus. First time I ever got tear gassed <laughs> was uh, on that campus in uh, uh, ninth grade. And um, uh, so... You, you have to know what was going on. The hippie movement was there. Uh, um, uh, Haight-Ashbury was a big thing. There were drugs and LSD and, and marijuana and the, the hippie lifestyle, the peace movement. And there were riots in, in the main cities during the presidential, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, you know what I'm talking about? 
well, not the camp. You know, when they come in to vote, and my mind's gone blank this morning on that. You know, the, you know, the thing when they choose the candidate. Yeah, conventions. Thank you very much. In Chicago, the Democratic Convention, and I believe this year, isn't it in Chicago again in this year? Uh, this coming time, it's going to be there again. Uh, there's just so many similarities that, are, that were going on at the time, and, and the, our nation was facing things they had never experienced before as America. We're supposed to be the home of the brave and land of the free, and we were seeing anarchy across our nation. And, and so people were, were desperate. Uh, the Vietnam War was at its pitch. It was at its peak almost at that time. And people were screaming to get out. And so it, it, just anything and everything was topsy-turvy, if I can put it that way, kind of upside down. And, and, and as I began thinking about some things in the last week through conversations from different people, I'm, I'm, his, his statement of I'm not sure we're desperate enough may be true when he made it, but I'm not so sure that we're not almost there. Right. Psalms 85 and verse 6 says, Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? And, and maybe you're thinking, well, that was then and this is now. But it is our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ, believers in Christ, to pass our faith onto the next generation. Okay? The prophet Joel said this in Joel 1 and 3. He says, tell your children about it in the years to come and let your children tell their children, pass the story down from generation to generation. It's one of the reasons that we put such a big emphasis on children's ministry and our tween ministry and youth and student ministry because we want to pass on to them the truths of God's word, but truths of our own experiences with God. And, and how can we do that if, if we, because listen, the time goes quickly. Too quick. I mean, this week, this past week, my son celebrated his 46th birthday. And I said, that's not possible that I can be that old. And I told him, I said, you can't be 46. You're four years from 5 -0. You know, I couldn't even say 50 because I was like, ah, it just sucked the wind right out of me, you know? I was like, the time goes so quickly. And, and there's no way to get it back. There's no way to get it back. And, 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 and uh, our prayer needs to be, Lord, do it again. Move again. I've, I've said this several times in the last several months, but I'll say our generation, my generation, I can look back. My generation had its moment, and this generation deserves its moment. It needs its moment, this spiritual uh, revolution, okay, or awakening, or whatever you want to call it. The Jesus movement was not a political revolution, even though at the time of our nation when it took place, 
politics was at the forefront. There were political conventions going on. There were anti-establishment movements. There was uh, marches against the war and, and our involvement in that. And it, if, you, if I had time, I could sit here and make a chart and go down the similarities of that day and today. And we're involved in a war, whether you believe it or not. We're involved in a war across over, overseas that people are now saying, why are we involved in it? I'm just telling you, this is how all of that kind of stuff started back in that day. But it was not a political revolution, even though some are, say it was, and there are even those who are calling for that today. But can I tell you, this nation is not going to change by an election. It has to change by the hearts of individuals being changed by God. You cannot legislate it, even though, yes, you can legislate laws and you can legislate good ones. I'm not against that. I'm just saying there are too many people who said this person gets elected or this party gets elected or this one happens. We're going to see the change we want. You may see some nickel and dime changes. But I'm just telling you, at the heart of it, we need Jesus. We need God, okay? The, the Jesus movement of the early 70s was not a political movement. It was not a moral revolution. It was a Jesus revolution. That's what Time Magazine called it. But it was more than just a movement, okay? It was a revolution. I looked this up yesterday. The word revolution, and, and the word means upheaval, change, transformation, reform. And Pastor Josh has preached this and talked about this several times, about revival means that our culture changes, that, that what's going on around us changes. That is re true revival. Revival is not a series of meetings. It's not a special speaker. It's not special music or worship group or whatever. I'm not against those either. But true godly revival brings change. It brings an upheaval, a transformation to what's going on. It's interesting is that when I looked up that word again in the, in the, in the Greek, as I looked it up, it also means to turn, to spin, or turn around. So it means to, for example, you're going this direction, and revolution can mean to stop, spin, and turn around and go back a different direction. So if you're going to turn and you're going to spin, you're going to turn around, what are you going to turn around to? And I'm convinced that the church today needs to return to New Testament Christianity. And we have no clue what that looks like. We have bits and pieces of it, but God's about to usher it in. He's, I said he's, he's about to usher it in because there are those who are saying something has to change. Transformation has to come. As was practiced in the early church, that type of faith. We need a spiritual awakening. We need a spiritual revolution. And I want us to look for just a moment at the most unlikely spiritual awakening, I think, in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to 
plant my tent, you know, tent spikes on it. But I'm telling you, if I had to pick one thing in the Bible that was the most incredible spiritual awakening, it's recorded in the book of Jonah. The move of God that swept one of the most wicked cities ever was the city of Nineveh. Now, usually when we read about Jonah, I hear about Jonah, we hear about Jonah running from God. He didn't want to answer God. He didn't want to obey God and everything. But has anybody ever stopped to ask why? Because Nineveh was like the capital of Assyria and was like the, the most wicked city on the earth. Okay? I mean... There are certain cities that are proud to proclaim their title of Sin City. Well, none of it would have been Sin City times 100, okay? In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, look what it says. Now the word of the, of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. If you could change, if you could, like in our own vernacular, put that phrase, their wickedness has come up before me, you could change it to the, the, the smell, the stench of their wickedness has reached the highest peak. And, and the words God has said, it is so bad, it's come all the way to me. Okay? Now, History records the, the cruelty of the, of the Ninevites. Historical records give graphic accounts about how they treated their captives. When the Ninevites would plunder a city, they burned the children alive. They tortured the adults. They even skinned people and hung their skin on the walls. They built monuments with the skulls of those that they beheaded. I'm not trying to be gross. I'm just telling you the way it was. So you can see why the stench of their evil had reached all the way to God. And Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was the superpower of the day. Listen to me. It was the most powerful military force on the earth at that time. It had essentially ruled for the world for 200 years, but things were about to change because a more powerful military was about to overtake Nineveh and overtake Assyria. And effectively, its days as the most powerful nation on earth were already numbered. Now I wanna tell you something, every nation, Say every nation. Every nation's days are numbered. History has proved that out. That's what history is. It records what has transpired in the past. Every nation has had a moment when it was born or birthed or, or started or whatever word you want to come up with and a moment when it dies or it diminishes dramatically. And I'm just gonna say this, it is true even for the United States of America. We know that judgment is coming. You may not know, I do. 
I know it's coming. It's in God's word. It's a matter of time. If that is so, can we not now begin to pray that God, before that judgment comes, would send one more great spiritual awakening? Because God is a God of mercy and a God of love. But he acts on the prayers of his people. And if God could bring a mighty revival to Nineveh, he can do that in the United States. Come on now. It is time for another Jesus movement. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, it says this. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who are slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. In the right time. Did you hear that? Did you see that again? When the time was right. People all the time going, what is God waiting for? He has a time. He has a time for the things in your life. He has a time for the events in my life. He has a time for the events of your family. He has a time for the events of, of church. He has a time for the events of a city, a nation, whatever. God has a time. And I could spend hours showing you the parallels between the spiritual and cultural climate of today and the days of the first Jesus movement. And I'm not talking about the one in the movie. I'm talking about the first Jesus movement that started after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire and it had pretty much beaten the world into submission using an iron fist of its military might. And those days were very dark morally and spiritually. Immorality was so widespread. If you were to have visited a city, uh, an ancient Roman Empire, any city, you would have found thousands of prostitutes roaming the streets looking for people to prey on. And if that wasn't bad enough, you would have found open idolatry. You would have found spiritism. You would have found demon worship. And then the religious establishment was almost completely corrupt. I mean, that which was supposed to be the light was just as corrupt as all the corruption and sin around it. The time was right for a divine intervention. When the time was right, the scripture says, God sent his son. And Jesus Christ appears on the scene during that time when Rome has clamped its fist down on Jerusalem. And Jesus begins to his public ministry, fulfilling hundreds of prophecies that were found in the Old Testament. Well, today, that church that was established in his name still marches on. We might look around us and think we're losing the battle. I opened... This morning, just while I was drinking coffee and open, I look at news headlines real quick, and there was an article about uh, young people leaving uh, the American church in, in droves by the tens of thousands. 
And I scanned through that real quick. And I closed it and looked at another, flipped another page. And it talked about the, the, the American church in a matter of years. A Christian church will, will not even exist. And I said, what a fool, whoever it was that wrote this. He says, because as long as there's one or two or three, the, the prophet Elijah ran for his life, said, I'm the last one. And God said, oh, quit your crying. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. God always has a remnant. I said, God always has a remnant. Listen, persecution didn't weaken the church. It strengthened the church. In fact, it was persecution that God used persecution to scatter the church to the four corners of the earth. And when they went scattering, guess what? They went proclaiming the gospel. And over time, over time, understand this, it doesn't happen overnight, but over time, the Roman Empire, the mighty Roman Empire was reduced to ruins. It's the same God, the same Jesus, the same message is still at work in the earth and it's being done through the followers of Jesus Christ. At least that's what it's supposed to be. The church's mission is to carry out the Great Commission. The first century believers turned the world upside down. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 6, there was a, 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 this was written to the believers in Thessalonica concerning Paul and Silas. And look what it says. This is a great statement. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Uh, that's so cool. How would you like to go to some town somewhere and they know you so well, what you've done for Jesus? And they go, oh, that guy, that woman that's turned that community upside down, they're here. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing to be said. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And look, this was all before social media. <laughs> there was no electronic TV. There was nothing. I mean, but the word spread and two people come to town and they go, the two, those guys who have turned their wor the whole world upside down, they've come to our town, our city. Whoa. They were disturbing the culture. I don't know what's happened somewhere, some way along the line that the church has lost sight of the fact that we were not here called to be complicit with the culture of, of the world, but we were here to confront it. Not in a mean, negative, snarky way, Bible says you speak the truth in love, but you still speak the truth. And that will disturb the culture. That will disturb people. It will upset people. I've heard preachers preach how to live your life so you don't upset the lost. I remember when I was a teenager and, and I was going through a situation with my father 
and and I had become a Christian, he was not, and and things really, really got bad. And 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 I remember my my spiritual father coming to me, basically my mentor at the time, and as a teenage boy, and he says, he said, You need to do this and this. You're pushing him away from God. And I remember making a statement. It wasn't a proudful statement or anything. It really wasn't. But I said, Brother Joe, that's impossible. I said, because he's lost. And you can't get any further away from God than being lost. I can't push him further. When you're lost, you're lost. And I'm talking spiritually. When you're without Christ, you're without Christ. And and there were in first century Christianity, there was never a dull day. I just want you to understand that. Now I know we have boring days. How many of you have had a boring day? Maybe not lately, but I mean, you know, we've all had days where nothing, like at the end of the day, you go, wow, nothing really wild happened today. Okay, that's great, you know. But in first century Christianity, the followers of Jesus Christ, they never had a dull day. They never did. In fact, wherever it seemed like the apostle Paul went, there was either riot or revival. There was no in-between. It was like either they, they picked up stones to stone, run them out of town, whatever, or they listened and said, come and tell us more. <laughs> the early church didn't have modern technology at its disposal, and yet in a relatively short period of time, those believers had changed the world. And you know how they did it? Those first century Christians permeated their culture. Listen to me. They permeated the culture. Tertullian, who is a Christian uh, leader from Carthage in Africa, a prolific early Christian author uh, of the church, he wrote this. And now I put it on the screen so you can read this. And here's what he said about the Christians of his day having permeated culture. He says, we are but of yesterday and we have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, Tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your God. He says, he says that's the power. He says, the church has infiltrated every place except your temples to your empty gods. No need to go there. I mean, think about it. History shows there were even Christians in the palace of Caesar. And that's what we need today. The modern church has lost sight of that mission and in doing so, instead of us permeating the culture, we've allowed the culture to permeate the church. And we need Christians who are willing to go out and make a difference. See, I wrote this early this morning because I, I woke up early this morning. This was just stirring inside of me. Christians are called to be change agents. And you might think, well, what is a change agent? If you look it up, it simply is defined in this manner. Uh, an agent of change is someone who sees a problem in their community, large or small. Say large or small. Because sometimes we think that it, it's only for a select few and it's got to be on a large scale in some way. That's not what it says. It says that a, someone, say someone, 
It didn't say some group or what, someone. Look at your neighbor and point at him and go, you're a someone. I want you to understand this, okay? I'm not being facetious there. You're a someone. An agent of change is someone who sees a problem in their community. How many of you can see problems in your community? How many of you can see problems in your families? How many can see problems in the schools? How many of you can see problems? I mean, don't come up to me and say, God's given me the gift of finding problems. It takes no gift to find problems. It takes a gift to find the solution and then to work it out. A lot of people like to come to pastors and say, I know what you need to do. Well, the 13th commandment in my book is ye who have the vision, get the job. Don't come tell me what we need to do. You do it. You show me and I'll follow you. I'm just telling you. But it says someone who sees the problem in their community, large or small, and does something. Say, does something. Does something to take action for a substantial change. Now, th- this is really important here because we think again that we need to do it on some large scale. Maybe it's one person you work with. You know, I, I remember hearing a preacher one time say, who knows the individual that won Billy Graham to Christ. Or D.L. Moody. Or one of those great evangelists. Who was the one person that won that one person who went out and changed the world? Come on now. See, we have to understand. Let's break this thing down where we live. We need Christians involved in the arts, making great films and creating graphic design. We need Christians who are in places of authority at local levels, state levels, national levels, international levels. Why? Because Proverbs 29 and 2 says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people mourn. Come on now. We need Christian doctors and lawyers and teachers and carpenters and bus drivers and grocery clerks. We need Christians in every aspect of business and life itself. We need business to let their light shine in the culture today. You cannot let your light shine with the the light turned off or covered up. Jesus said you don't take a light and stick it under a bushel. You put it on a hill where it can be seen everywhere. Oh, but we're told we're not supposed to rock the boat. We're not supposed to upset people. We need to change our thinking a little bit. If God is going to bring a spiritual awakening, somebody spiritual who's been awakened has to be out there, has to be the catalyst. G. Campbell Morgan, who was a British evangelist, Bible teacher, and author, he said this, he said, organized Christianity, which fails to make a disturbance, is dead. (laughs) And that's why we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, it says, See then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise men, making the most of the time, because... The days are evil. In other words, 
Make the most of every moment that you have because you have to see the days for what it is. We want to say, well, bet, I, you know, better days are ahead. Really? How many of us believe better days are ahead? I think there are godly days and things that God is going to do, but my Bible says that things will wax worse in the last days. Things will get worse in the last days. How much more do we need a spiritual awakening? And how much more do we need those who have been awakened in their spirit and their eyes opened up, who have come forth and said, use me, God where I am. Let me be the change agent. How, no matter how small it is, let me be the one. See, believers in the first century made a disturbance because they understood that God had called them to do their part. They took risk. They went outside their comfort zones. In fact, in the book of Acts, there's three specific things, and I could have made a message just out of these three things, but they're fearless preaching. They get thrown in jail. Once they get out, they pray, Lord, let us even be even more bold. They didn't say, Lord, protect us so that they won't find us. They said, let us be more bold in our preaching. Expectant prayer. They prayed expecting God to do something. They expected it. And their willingness to obey God no matter what the cost. All those three things right there. I mean, that's a series right there. 21st century believers should be living like these first century believers, impacting our culture. We, were, we should realize that we're called to make a difference. We, we should be turning our world upside down. I thought, I've thought of this over the years. I don't know why. Just every once in a while, you know, you do a funeral or whatever and... When I was a kid, I loved history, and, and um, my family is, is all from the Northeast, Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire, all that area. And um, I loved, in the little town of Derry, New Hampshire, where my grandparents lived, and I think it's kind of ironic, the little Indian, in, what is it, Destination India right down here? The only other one that they have, their headquarters, is in Derry, New Hampshire, and if you've ever been to Derry, there's nothing virtually there. But when I saw that on their thing, I said, what's the chances? They open up one down. So I said, somebody from up there must have moved down here and decided to open a restaurant. Because, I mean, like, Derry is in the middle of nowhere. And I remember when Derry was just a crossroads. And on one side was a general store for Sam. I mean, old-timey general store. They had the barrels out front with the apples in the fall where you'd go pick it out the apples and stuff like that, you know. On the other side, diagonally across, was a teacher's college. It had three buildings. It's still a teacher's college. There's only three buildings on it. The, the other side corner, there was nothing. But on the other corner was a cemetery. I loved walking through there. Because the first headstones that I could find in there were from like five to seven, eight years after the pilgrims landed. In fact, there's one where a family of 13 
were all killed on the same day, slaughtered by, I don't know what the proper word is, indigenous tribe or whatever, a people. But I would walk through and read the things on the stones, and a lot of it's carved in Old English, you know, and you got to figure out what it is. And I always thought, I wonder why they put that on there. I wonder why they put that on there. And when I've taken people to Boston, and I've taken them to the big cemetery there, right in the middle of the city where many of our forefathers and famous people have been buried in history, and, and you read all those epitaphs that are on there, and I've always thought, what would it... I wonder why they put that on there. I wonder why they put that on there. And I thought, what would I want put on mine? And, and I, this week I kind of came to a conclusion. I, I would like it to say and be true that he turned his world upside down for Jesus. We have to make the difference. It's time to change course. Let me go back to Psalms 85 and 6 again. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? The United States is at a crossroads right now. Our nation is literally unraveling before our eyes because we have rejected what God says in his word. And the closest parallel that I can think of in my lifetime is the 1960s and early 70s to the time that we're living in now. I, I, I just out of curiosity, I said, well, I got a birthday in three weeks. And I said, uh, what was real pop? I was born in 1955. I said, so w what happened in 1955 besides me? I looked it up. Famous events of 1955. My name wasn't there, but you know. But I did look it up, and I saw a few things. The number one song was Rock Around the Clock. The number one album was by Bing Crosby, and, and, and it, had the, it was because of the song White Christmas was on that album. Some of you don't even know what an album is. That year, the USS Nautilus was the first operational nuclear-powered submarine. Rosa Parks, an African-American bus passenger was arrested for, after refusing to give up her bus seat to a white passenger. Disneyland opened in California in 1955. Inflation was one quarter of one percent. Woo! I like them days. The average cost of gasoline was 23 cents a gallon. And Dwight Eisenhower had been elected for a second term as U.S. president. You say, well, that was then. Now it's now. Yeah, decades have gone by. But I'll tell you what, when I look at the young generation today compared to the youth generation of when I was growing up, it reminds me a lot of the very same things. The drug revolution started off the, the, all the stuff in the, the late 1960s and it was propagated by the mentality of turn on, tune in, and drop out. And today we have a drug epidemic that is sweeping our nation again. Do you know that on an average day in the United States there are 300 fentanyl deaths? 300 a day and it's growing and I was shocked to learn when I looked up LSD I, the use of LSD is coming back it's climbing again in fact they said that it, in one year it, it's increased by 47 percent 
And, and the use of marijuana is so high that more people smoke pot today than smoke cigarettes. Did you know that? I looked it up. I said, that can't be true. And I researched it from several government places. More people are smoking pot. And, and, and in the wake of states legalizing it, experts are warning of a cannabis use disorder that causes psychosis and addiction. And then you add the addiction of social media. I'm telling you, I think social, the, social media can be a greater addiction than anything else. Nobody in my day and age walked around with a book like this. Bumping into walls, bumping into elevators, sitting at red lights when they've turned green. Anybody? I want one of them big truck horns in my car. You know, one of them aruga horns, you know. You know, so to wake them up, you know. I'm like, come on. And I tell my wife, I said, you watch what's going to happen. They're going to make the left turn and we're going to get stuck. And every time that happens, and she looks at me, she goes, you prophesied it, you got it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know what? It would have happened anyway, because they're too busy. Got their nose down here instead of up there. Come on now. I know I'm not the only one. But listen, when you add in the addiction of social media, in my day and age, and I'm not ashamed to say this, in my day and age, we used to have a saying, keeping up with the Joneses. Anybody ever hear their parents say that or grandparents? You know, the neighbors got a new car, we got to get a new car. They got a new house, we got to get a new house. They got a swimming pool, we got to get a swimming pool. We got, you know, I mean, whatever. You know, they, they got a membership at the country club. We got to get a membership at the country club. It was keeping up with the Joneses, okay? And it was on a smaller scale because it was just a few people that you knew. Today with social media, it's exponential because it's the challenges and the dares and the peer pressure from social media that our young people are dealing with. And it's the proverbial pouring gasoline on the fire because it amplifies everything. I read an article this morning of the latest thing on TikTok. Okay, I don't have a TikTok account, so don't try and get me there. I ain't there. I ain't going there. I'm just, just not. There's too much other junk on there that I don't want to be a part of. I'm not judging you if you're there. That's fine. I won't know you're there because I'm not there. <laughs> but I read this morning the latest challenge on TikTok is young people walking into strangers' homes and planting themselves there and staying there and saying they're not going to leave. And yes, I said, really? I said, son, they did it in my house. They, they meet Smith and Wesson, who also resides in my house. You know, they, I'd introduce them to the word police <laughs> they, because they'd be coming to take them away. I'm just telling you. I'm like, this is crazy. And young people are challenged by it. They're being pressured by their friends to do crazy stuff. How many remember when they were swallowing Tide Pods? Really? You got to put a warning on that to tell people not to do that? I'm, not, I'm just telling you, this is what, and it's because it amplifies everything. We think everybody's doing it. Suicide among young people is up 334%. They said that self-harm 
is, is even higher. And if you don't know what self-harm is, it's non-suicidal non self-injury, whether it's cutting or whatever. I mean, and the suicide rate in the United States since 2000 has increased 30%, and it's tripled among young girls, tripled since 2000. And if you think it's only teenagers, let me tell you that the highest rate of suicide in age class or bracket in the United States is age 25 to 34. Look it up. I'm not lying to you. Our world needs help. Our world needs Jesus. And as believers, we should, no, 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 let me take that back. No, no should. We must commit to do anything we can to change the course. We must learn how to share the gospel at every moment that you have. Years and years ago, I used to teach a class how to give your testimony in three minutes. Because sometimes that's all you have. Used to be that we had checkout lines at the grocery store. Now they make you do all the work. But you know what? Half the times those things don't work, and then somebody has to come over there. Guess what? I got three minutes. While you're trying to fix it, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. I'm just serious. We, we need to share the gospel. It's not like the only time I get to share gospels when, when Tiger and Sam and them go out on Friday night and then, oh, I'm going to get to share the gospel. You should be sharing it every day with somebody somewhere, somehow. Praying fast. We should be praying. We should be fasting for a spiritual awakening. Now, I know I can't make revival happen. You can't make revival happen. We can't vote on it and say, next week, God's going to send a revival. We can't do that. But what do we do? Look, we can't organize revival, but we can agonize for it. We can cry out to God for it. We, it, it starts with us, each and every one of us. And when, when we look at our culture, when we look at the breakdown in our culture, we are quick as Christians are quick to point our finger at Hollywood or Washington, D.C., the crooked politicians or some power struggle or whatever. Uh, Yes, they may play a part, but I want to say this to you, and I'm getting ready to close. When God sees the breakdown of a nation, he doesn't point his finger at the white house of the palace. He points his finger at the church house. You say, well, how can you say that, Pastor? It's easy. In 2 Chronicles 7, 13, God says, when I shut up the heavens, when I bring plague, when I cause the locusts to come on the earth, and the problem today is that the church in America today as a whole doesn't recognize what's going on around us. They just think, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Some of you are more upset that I just said that in that phrase, in that terminology, than the fact that they are going to hell. And we just say, what can you do? Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people will humble themselves, those who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, now I put that in there because that's what it implies, then I will hear from heaven, then I will forgive their sins, 
then I will restore their land. Now, we like that last part in that verse about where God talks about restoring the land, right? But notice the first part. If my people, that means you, that means me. And if there are people, yes, there are people doing horrible, evil, ungodly things today, but that has nothing to do with us. In fact, the recipe for revival, the prescription for revival has nothing to do with the evil. It doesn't say when the wicked repent of their ways. It says when my people repent, when my people repent and they humble themselves and they pray. Why? Because we realize we can't change our culture. We can't do it. It's a God thing. We need God more than ever before. When they repent, when they call upon God, when they fast and pray, God says, then I will do these things. During the 20th century Jesus movement, there was a sense of expectancy in that day in the church. I'm just telling you, no one, listen, you just, how many of you were, were part of that move of God in that period of time? How many of you? One, two, three, four. So the rest of you, you're just going to have to trust us on this. There were Bible studies, home groups, church meetings, everywhere. And it wasn't like, okay, on Sunday we're going to go here, and Wednesday we're going to no, it was like Sunday they got this one there, and then Sunday afternoon they got this one here, and Sunday night they got this one here, and Monday they got this one over there, and then Tuesday's over here, and Wednesday's here, Wednesday afternoon's here, two on Thursday, three on Friday. I mean, it was like there was stuff going ever, and, and no one was late because there was a sense that if I'm late, I'm going to miss out on something that God's going to do. Am, am I, those of you that were there then, am I telling the truth? I'm telling you, man, you, you got there early because you were afraid that somebody's going to take the front seat away from you. <laughs> I mean, really. I've, I've told you this story. I won't go into it again. We went to a church one time, and the front seat, the front pew was full. So we sat on the floor in front of them. Why? Because we had an old saying, we want to sit under the spout where the glory runs out. I'm serious. There was a sense of expectation. This past Tuesday night when the staff of the church we met and we spent a little time in prayer and one of the prayers that came forward and, and talked about even afterwards, Lord, Lord, build a sense of expectation in Life Church and the people of Life Church. Now I'm just being honest with you. I'm telling you in that day when the music would have started, or you could hell they're getting ready to start. Everybody would have been squeezing in to get inside. I think we don't have that expectancy, and we're more comfortable just staying out and waiting 20, 30, 40 minutes until whenever. I'm not pointing my finger, I'm just telling you. We need a sense of expectancy that God might on the first note, the first word, the first scripture, God might just boom right in our midst. See, the Holy Spirit worked in the first century. He's the same spirit, and he wants to work in and through our lives. The question is, do we want Holy Spirit to work in our lives? 1 Thessalonians 5.19, five words. Do not quench the spirit. 
If you can't memorize scripture, there's one for you. Besides, Jesus wept. Do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. The word quench, how many of you use that word often? No, we don't. But the word quench here means to suppress, thwart, frustrate, hinder, or to extinguish. That's what it means. Now, my, the way my brain works, immediately, that word extinguish hit me. So imagine with me, all right, we come together in Jesus' name. A time of worship begins. Holy Spirit is hovering, ready to move in our midst, right? As we begin worshiping the Lord, there are those who are exempting themselves from participating for whatever reason. In other words, they're hindering because they're quenching the Spirit. But picture in your mind, we... we Brother Justin's up here singing and laying at them. And I'm in there all, Brother Glenn's banging away on them drums, man, and, and, and worshiping the Lord. Imagine me running out in that hallway out there and grabbing the fire extinguisher off the wall and come running in here, break the seal, pull the pin, and come running up to this platform and start spraying that stuff all over the place. I really wanted to do that this morning. But then I thought, who's going to clean it up? <laughs> yeah. I see everybody's getting up leaving like he's really going to do it, you know. No, I wouldn't have done it. But, I mean, I wanted to use it as an illustration at this point. I would, I would have put a cardboard just in there, you know, or something like that, you know. Imagine, imagine what would have been the result? it would have abruptly stopped everything and abort anything Holy Spirit wanted to do. That's quenching the Spirit. And instead of quenching the Spirit, we need an Isaiah moment. And this is the last scripture, Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, through 5. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. At this moment in Isaiah's life, this was a God awakening, okay? In, in Isaiah's life, this was a God awakening. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That's an awakening. And it resulted with a change inside of him. Because in verse 5, it says, woe to me woe to me I cried I am ruined a God awakening is going to bring about this kind of response we think a God awakening is going to bring we all feel wonderful no 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 that doesn't happen until you're on your face 
until God shakes everything out of you, purges all that out. He says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips. Notice he didn't say, all the people around me are not spiritual. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. I live among an unclean people, people with unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. This God-awakening moment resulted in new vision and new purpose. And we need this in the church. We need this. Why? Because if we don't have that God-awakening moment where we see God in all of his glory, all of his holiness for who he is, then we never come to this place where we say, woe to me, I am unclean, I am done, I am doomed. I, I've seen a holy God and I am an unholy person. We'll never get to this point. And if we never get to this point, then we never get to verse 8. And God says, who will go for us? Who will go? And it says, and I heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Isaiah says, I said, here am I, send me. So there has to be that awakening. We have to see God for who he is. Then brings the reality of who we are and, and, and where we are and that we need God to change us. So just... Up, bring upheaval and change in our lives so that God can say, who can I send? And we say, send me. Send me. That's what God wants to do. Isaiah, in that moment, became God's change agent for his generation. And I just wonder if there's anyone here today who's willing to say, God, do that in me, that I might be a change agent in my generation, whether it's with one or two or with a group, a company, a country, I don't know. But you start somewhere, and it starts with God having an awakening in your life and showing you for really who you are, really where you are. And God pulls back the curtain and lets us see us for ourselves. And in that moment, we fall before a holy God. And we know the story, what happened to Isaiah. An angel came with tongs and took a coal of fire off the altar of God and touched it to his tongue and purified him. Well, we don't need the fire of a, of a coal to touch us. We've had the blood of Jesus Christ applied to us. But it's time to let God just melt us before his presence. Clean up any stuff that's crept in and let God have his way in our life. Is there anyone here that God's speaking to you and saying, I want God to do that in my life? I invite you just to come forward at this time. I'm not going to lay hands on you. I'm not going to call you out. Just 
And this is just an altar place right now. This is just a place for you to come for the next few moments. And I want you to come and, and surrender to what God wants to do. You're willing to say, God, look at the inward parts of my heart, at the inward parts of my life. Do clean me. Show me if there be any wicked way. The psalmist declared that. Lord, search my heart. Show me if there be any wicked way in me. Clean my heart. Right now, this is the place. Come on. It's just the next few moments as the worship team is playing. Let's just make heaven an altar time with the Lord. It's between you and God. You can come and stand. You can kneel. You can get on your face. You can sit. You can walk. It doesn't matter. You just want God to come. Father, we need an awakening in the earth but most of all in your church the church is to be the agent the church is to be that which goes out the light that's in the darkness that floods the earth with the light and the glory of the lord god we we need you to come and move in our lives and clean out the closets lord we think that somehow we can throw the junk of our life on a closet and that you won't bother with it god that's the place that you go to first we ask you, Lord, just clean our hearts and clean our lives. Check every every motive, every, every every motive of our heart, every motive of our actions, Lord. Every every motive behind every word that we speak. And then, God, we just say we repent. We repent, for you're a holy God, merciful, yes, great in majesty and power and wonder, yes. But a holy God, holy God, right now, Lord, come, touch their lives, touch our lives, each and every one, let us touch our lives, Lord God, bring your purpose, your divine purpose right now. Jesus, we love 
how we love you. You are the Hearts adore the hopeless have found their home. The orphans now have a home, and all that was lost has found its place in you. You lift our weary head. You make us strong instead. You took these rags and made us beautiful. For all that you've done, we will pour out our love. This will be anthem song Jesus we love you oh how we love you are the one our hearts adore Jesus we salt 
in the earth. We cannot awaken a nation that is dark when the darkness has overtaken the light. So let us pray right now. Father, we just come before you. We know it's your heart's desire that there would be an awakening of spiritual magnitude in our nation, Lord God, and that it would begin in your church. So much of the church God is, 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 is corrupt and I know as, as I've seen articles and I've thought there's no hope, there's no hope there's no hope but you reminded me of Nineveh this week and if Nineveh can repent God then, then the church can surely repent though God some leaders may not want to have an awakening, there will be an awakening in the pews and the seats and the chairs of the churches there will be home groups that will spring up across our nation once again god they cannot close the door of the church it may because the church is not a building it's not a facility it is the people of god born again of the spirit filled with the spirit enlightened by the word and moved with a commission to speak the truth in love to a world that's dying every day god there's so many around us they're just they're hopeless they're they're in addiction they're they're, they're they have no hope their eyes are looking but they see nothing god let us see as you see let us feel as you feel let our hearts beat as your heart beats lord show us that co-worker that's that's looking for an answer God, open doors of opportunities without even asking, Lord God. Just suddenly somebody, just the door opens and there's our moment. Let us not pass on it. Let us speak to them and, and, and pray with them. Tell them about Jesus. Sow the seeds, Lord God. Let us go forth and do it. And you, God, we turn to you and we say, do it again in our day. Do it in our generation. Do it for our children. Do it for our grandchildren. That they might have their own story. That they might have their own experience. That they might have their own awakening in their own lives, Lord God. That God, they would impact not only their generation, but the older generation. God, grandchildren have a great power to speak into grandparents' lives. Father, I pray for a move of God among our children, Lord God, and our young people, that God, it would, it would move and touch people's hearts and lives in such a powerful way. Not just their own peers, Lord, but even those that are older than them, that they would look at them and see the simplicity of Christ in their life. Pray this, Lord God, Jesus. Do it, we pray, in your holy name. Your holy name. Amen. 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 If you need special prayer for anything, come. We'll pray for you. Otherwise, God bless you. Have an incredible God-filled week. Amen.
Fuck!